0: Please turn with me in your Bibles to Mark chapter 10, starting at verse 17. We will be reading that passage in a few minutes. Um, When I was a freshman at UCO, I took a humanities class, and that's where I first heard of Martin Luther, not Martin Luther King or Martin Luther King Jr., Martin Luther. So the Reformation was very disruptive. It made it even into UCO's humanity class. However, what they taught about the Reformation isn't what we're teaching about the Reformation. Um, Nonetheless, I remember being intrigued by this person, Martin Luther, and as some of you know, uh, 500 years ago, this man nailed 95 theses to the castle door at Wittenberg, um, and we are celebrating in October the five Sundays by going through the five solas of the Reformation. These are five doctrines that came out of the Reformation that that all five emphasize the the glory of grace, the importance of Christ, right? And and what I want you to remember as we look at these doctrines is we may not be in this congregation where, say, the Catholic Church was when Luther decided to nail the 95 Theses, right? But I think practically we often find ourselves drifting. Here's what I mean. I did some research and I wondered, you know, does, does the Catholic Church really think that Christ is not the only way to salvation? Now, this is not bashing the Roman Catholic Church, but we can critique each other a little bit. I did find modern-day writings answering right now that, indeed, of course they think Christ is how you're saved, but they do point to Mary, to other saints, uh, to other things like church councils, etc. So they have this more robust, in their minds, view of salvation and salvation. We would say theologically that it's through Christ alone. We're going to talk about that this morning. But I don't think that's where most of you are struggling. My guess is most of us theologically would agree that through Christ alone we're saved. What I hope to get your attention with this morning is the fact that we can think it theologically, but ra- rather or with our actual what's called orthopraxy or our practice of life, we can drift into other arenas for salvation, other comforts, In life, other sources of meaning that define us. So that's really going to be the focus this morning, on looking at Christ alone. How would it practically help you and I recognize where we are not resting in Him alone? So we will look at Mark 10, starting in verse 17. Um, Please follow along in your Bibles. And as He was setting, uh, let me just give you a quick sentence on what you're about to hear. This is I've been doing stories of Jesus. Because for me, when I deal with doctrine, I love, I love Paul's writing. It's so fun to preach and look at Paul's writing. But it's really fun to take stories that are common that we've all heard from Jesus' teaching and see where these doctrines reside in them. So this morning's sermon is The Rich Young Ruler. That's the, the, what we'll be looking at. This, this is the ruler, the young man, who uh, he's coming to Jesus with some questions about eternal life. So with that said, let's now look at the passage. And as he was setting out on his journey... A man ran up and knelt before him and asked him, Good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus said to him, Why do you call me good? No one is good except God alone. You know the commandments do not murder, do not commit adultery, do not steal, do not bear false witness, do not defraud, honor your father and mother. And he said to him, Teacher, all these I have kept from my youth. And Jesus, looking at him, loved him and said to him, You lack one thing. Go, sell all that you have, and give to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven. And come, follow me. Disheartened by the saying, he went away sorrowful, for he had great possessions. And Jesus, looking around, said to the disciples, With man it is impossible, but not with God. For all things are possible with God. This is the word of the Lord. Please join me in prayer. Heavenly Father, I pray that you would help us to rest in the truth that our salvation, that our entire life is wrapped up in Jesus. I pray, Holy Spirit, you would open our eyes this morning to understand that more fully. Amen. I'm going to set my timer, everyone. I'm sorry. I I didn't do this, and it would create fluster later. So bear with my quirky OCD ways. Okay. I've been reading lately about a a, a psychological uh, theory called attachment theory. Brian Larison knows this theory. Others know this theory. It's somewhat new for me. But it's this theory that our attachment to our mothers early in life Or the lack thereof or the disruption thereof really leads to later in life things that can be coming out in your in your personality etc and so as I'm looking at some of the stories there was a uh, one of the first theorists was reporting that uh, hospitals as an example really didn't buy into this for many many years in fact in the 1900s especially the earlier part you know when you brought a child to the hospital often the parents were kept out because of germ theory it's like we don't want any Infection coming in to this area of order and neatness and structure. And so you would have mothers separated from their child, whether it's a few days, weeks, or months. And I just read some of the quotes from some of the parents who would receive their child back healthy, recovered. But they would say things like, but it's a different child. They've come back with a different personality. There's, There's a lot of distrust. There's a lot of crying and weeping. And uh, one one mother said it took almost a full year to get back to that that place where we were. Now, again, there's a whole lot to this theory, but here's what's going through my mind as I'm reading this, is we are made for relationship. We are built for that. In fact, we are built for relationship with God, and it's been severed. And when Jesus comes into the scene, he is constantly saying to his children, to you and I, I want to have a relationship with you. I don't simply want to be one figure on the shelf, one sort of aspect to your life. You will thrive, you and I will thrive when we have him as the center of our life, as that relationship. And so my question to you is, where are you this morning with Jesus? I'm not asking you do you believe he's the son of God, though certainly that's a fair question. I'm asking you, are you resting on him alone for your identity? Is he whom you find to be the most attached to? Or is he somewhere on the side and you're constantly turning to other things for fulfillment? Because I know I struggle with that. And of course, we can't ever answer this side of heaven fully one way or the other. But the goal this morning and in general is to continue to press into our understanding of that vital need for Jesus, to be our chief relationship, right? To be the one where in union with. And that's why we come to worship. That's why we take communion. That's why we listen to scripture is we are being reminded over and over that Jesus holds us. He, he cradles us in his arms. And that's from that position is where you will have life and peace. So I was telling Doug this week that I wanted to preach on this. And he said, I've got a good outline. I'm going to quote you. How about Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life? And I thought that's perfect. So I'm going to use that as my outline. Thanks, Doug. He writes most of my sermons for me. So, in John 14, Jesus has just washed the disciples' feet, and he's about to go away, and they're sad, but he's explaining who he is, and he says to them, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And I think this passage has hints of each of those three things. So, we'll look at each one in, in order. Starting with, Jesus has to be the way for you and I. Right? He's not just a belief system, he is the way. Okay? So, we have a rich ruler. Now, how do we know he's rich? He's rich. And in in all three, this appears in three synoptic gospels, uh, all three refer to him as being wealthy or rich, right? Also, one of them refers to him being young, and also one of them refers to him being a ruler. So what we have is a person who really has it all together at a very young age, okay? Probably as a ruler, he's part of what's called the Sanhedrin. So he's, he's a, even possibly a religious ruler, and he hears that Jesus is there and he wants to go ask this burning question. And the question you can look at verse 17 uh, is this. Good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? That's a great question. I'm wondering if that question... I mean, I felt like growing up, a lot of people talked about heaven and what, what happens after death. I don't hear that question as much. Maybe it's me. Maybe you can come tell me later or email me or whatever social media you prefer, but I'm not hearing that much permeating the consciousness of people in our culture, but for this man, and I'm hoping for all of us in this room, it's, it has a place that, that we really want to know, how do I get to eternal life? Like, what's next, right? Because for Jesus, that's the, the entire passage is pointing to that. It's pointing to the kingdom of heaven. And one of the mistakes we make in modern American Christianity is we separate the kingdom of God uh, into two, two scenes, right? We, the Bible talks about the kingdom of God. It means, like, right now. We think of it as future and present. So right now, we're all living this life, and one day, someday, when we die, or Jesus returns, we want to go into the kingdom of God, right? But that's not how the Bible presents it. Jesus, in this passage, is presenting the kingdom of God as something that is present and the way is not a ticket to get there but it's the person of christ by whom we walk with and have our being with okay and so the question for us this morning is how do you view jesus do you think he's the way to get to heaven and i have to i have to bring up the trilemma have you heard of the trilemma the famous c.s lewis lord liar lunatic many of you have heard this right Jesus says, um, I am the way, the truth, and the life. When he is being crucified, it's it's because he's claiming to be God, that the religious leaders want him to die. And so when someone comes along in our culture and says, you know, he's a good person, he's a good teacher. There's a famous quote by Gandhi that it's not Jesus I so much have a problem with, It's, it's his followers. You know, they're not following his teaching. But the problem is, Gandhi didn't believe Jesus was the Lord, right? And so the question for you and I as just an entry point is, is Jesus the way? So the trilemma goes like this. If Jesus says, I am God, he's either a liar, because he knows he's not, he's a lunatic because he thinks he is when he's really not, or he's the Lord, he really is. So when handling Jesus in the scriptures, That needs to be just a very simple entry point. Jesus claims to be the only way to the Father, right? And is that in our passage? It is. As we unpack this passage, you'll see it. But I do want to point just to that funny metaphor that he draws um, in verse 25. It is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich person to enter the kingdom of God. I've heard a sermon once where a pastor said, you know, there is this location that some theory is that maybe it was called the eye of a needle and a camel, if it did the right kind of undulations, it could get through it. And I'm thinking, that's not, that's not what Jesus is saying. He's saying, it's absurd. This is a huge animal, and that's a tiny, tiny hole. And it will never go through. So quit thinking, you and I can get to heaven without Jesus, Right? How about the beginning of the? So he, he ends it by saying, with man it is impossible, but with God all things are possible. That's the end of this passage. But how about the beginning of the passage? There's this amazing little moment where Jesus disrupts us. I don't think the rich ruler picked up on it. A lot of Jesus' um, teaching is sort of like a t- ticking bomb. It comes up later, right? You could do a lot of studies on just the questions Jesus asks, right? beautiful questions and you all some of you know the question good teacher what must I do to inherit eternal life you know sometimes it's rude to kind of pick on people but Jesus sort of picked on this guy a little bit right because he said why do you call me good only God is good so either you think I'm God or you're just humoring me and I don't want you to do that And I don't think you think I'm God right why do you call me good? Jesus is saying right there, and throughout this passage, wake up, you're talking to the God of the universe, right? You're talking to God. In that passage from John 14, where he says, I'm the way, the truth, and the life, he says, I'm going to the Father. And Philip says, wait a minute, that's awesome. I want, you, I want to know the Father too. Like, we would love to go with you. And Jesus says, Philip, I've been with you all this time. Do you not know me? And it's one of those moments. Yes, that sound was perfect. It's that moment of he's the father. He's looking at this man and saying, do you not realize you're talking to the God of the universe right now, and I am the only way? Okay? That's the first point. But we have this eye of the needle concept. I want to just, as we transition to the second point, this idea that the problem with the only way is... um, it's impossible for us, right? We, we need, there's this impossibility presented in this passage, this eye going through a needle that needs to be picked up on. And so Jesus also says he's the truth, right? He's the truth. Um, where is, there's this place in John 18 where Jesus is talking to Pilate. Uh, it's the longest discourse, I think, with Pontius Pilate and Jesus. And there's this moment where Jesus is, is answering him finally and says, You say that I am a king. For this purpose I was born, and for this purpose I have come into the world to bear witness to the truth. Everyone who is of the truth listens to my voice. And Pilate says, what is truth? Almost rhetorically, what is truth? Let me ask you a question. What is truth? Right? What what does that even mean? in our passage, it says this. No one is good except for God alone. You know the commandments. Do not murder. Do not commit adultery. Do not steal. And in somewhat of a shocking moment of just complete arrogance, we all want to run up to that poor person and say, shh. What does he say? this ruler? I've done all that. I've, since my youth, I have not murdered anyone, I promise. I've not committed adultery, and I've done all this great stuff. Well, in the Sermon on the Mount, we recognize that Jesus says, you've heard it said, do not murder. I say, do not even call your brother a fool, because that's murder. Right? The law is much larger than you think it is. You've heard it said, do not commit adultery. Even lusting is adultery. So, this poor ruler does not recognize that he is a great sinner. That somewhere he does not understand the truth. And the reality is, for most of us, we live in that bubble of protective truth. And so, if you're going to talk about truth, you have to bring up a few good men. Because there's this scene in A Few Good Men where Jack Nicholson's the general, and he sees himself as the great protector from the rest of us. He's at Guantanamo Bay. John, you can correct me later. I'm going to get half of this wrong. He is a Marine. I know that much. And it's, um, oh my goodness, uh, Tom Cruise. Did you see that? <laughs> Tom Cruise is the, uh, is, is the attorney. He's trying to get Jet Nicholson to, to just break. And they're talking about truth. And he says, I want, you know, I want the truth. And finally, Jet Nicholson just finally says, you can't handle the truth. Like, if I were to tell you, what goes on every day? National security you know, breaches, etc. I mean, I'm sure the president or the CIA, I'm sure people feel this way. You would absolutely crack, right? I couldn't go through studying for pharmaceutical sales without thinking I was having a heart attack all the time. Like, the truth was overwhelming to me. I was finding out about diseases I'd never heard of, and I had them all. <laughs> and so here's this ruler who has a second-grade view of the law. I've not killed anyone, you know. And Jesus is saying, you've missed the entire point because I have to complete this for you. And here's the proof. If you think that this guy or you or any of us can on our own fulfill the law, then you want you know a great way to test that? Jesus asked the perfect question. Perfect. You love your neighbor as yourself? Then this is very simple. Take your possessions. Sell them at face value. I mean, go get good value for them. Take your time if you need to. And then with all those proceeds, go find poor people that need those, that money and give it to them. And then follow me. And the man goes away sad. Now, why would you go away sad? That would be very easy to do if you were sinless, would it not? Wouldn't that be the very thing you would want? What is the law? Love your neighbor as yourself. If I were someone in poverty and I had a clone myself, who was wealthy, I'd be like, hey, I'm, here's what I would do if I were you. Give me half your money. Give me all your money. <laughs> so why, then, is this man sad? Because he was not looking for a relationship with God. He was looking for a passcode into heaven. We just got one of those on our garage. You lift it up and you push the button and the garage door goes up. It's like, i got my passcode. That's what we want. We want a passcode to heaven. And Jesus is saying, "No, what you need is the truth. You need a life that absolutely recognizes reality." Now, what does it have to do with money and riches? Well, I think I need things to be happy. I really do. You know, um, when we were in seminary, we lived in apartments where we didn't want to leave our car, so we drove our car over to these apartments that were a little bit more safe. And uh, we went out of town. And we came back a couple of days later, and our car was fine. But all around our car, was it's hard to explain. It looked like candy wrapper and fragments of just trash. But nothing was disturbed. Like, there wasn't like a tornado. It looked like a tornado, but nothing was destroyed. Well, here's the story. The seminary was buying all the property right there. And most of it was lived in by seminary students. But there was this one place where a lady lived that they had not seen and had the chance to inspect her home. Well, she was a hoarder. And so, finally, she's like, wrote a letter, take what you want, I've moved to Florida. So it's like, the days come where they now have to get in, and they can't open the door. They had to remove the window, and there was trash higher than the edge of the window, and they had to bring it out, and it turns out, like, she had had a normal job, where she showered, like, at a hospital, I guess, because she was a nurse, so she, I think her water was shut off, but she was afraid to call a utility. Company, you know, like she just had nothing but trash. And most of us have watched one of those TV shows, right? Like, it turns out, a hoarder loves every one of those objects. In fact, most of us, you know, we joke about why well, I'm ADD, I'm OCD. Most of us jokingly say, "Well, I'm a hoarder." Like, I have things in my house that I feel like there's like a personality. It's like a thing, right? And in some ways I want to say wealth is is wonderful when used properly, but how many of you when you heard that story about the hoarder thought, oh, poor person. Oh, the slavery you must have been on. You can't even shower in your home. And here's Jesus talking to this rich person. He's saying, this will actually help you. You are so in love with your possessions. You are in prison right now. And I'm giving you information, truth, that if you would follow, you would be set free. Can we we cross that line? Can we we make that, that step? I'm not saying you have to go sell your possessions. What I am saying is, there has to be this realization that our stuff, our identity, the things we think give us life, actually suck the life out of us. Because they don't point us to Christ. They don't cause us to rest in him. He is the truth right? And everything short of Jesus is marring the truth. It's, 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 we're dumbing down. We're saying, no, I'm, I really love Jesus, but man, I really have to have this moment. I love Shane's story about the, the uh, football game. I didn't know he was an OU fan. Oh, is that OSU? Because we had a similar experience yesterday as OU fans. We thought we had lost that game. Um. But sometimes you have these moments. I'm I'm sitting down to watch the OU game, and I have a phone call. And I take the phone call, and I won't go into any details, but it was very sobering. And I came back to sit at the OU game, and Emily's parents were there and we're watching. And it, it brought the game into what I'd call a very sobering, normal perspective. It's just a game. Right? That's what Jesus does. Jesus helps us by saying, stop thinking that thing, that person, that dream, that, I don't know, surgery, whatever, that's going to give you life. That's not the truth. So let's now transition to what is the truth, that Jesus is also the way, the truth, and the life. There is life in Jesus. I think Satan has done a masterful job along with our flesh to convince us that Jesus is boring that a life with Jesus is subpar. In our passage, I just want to point out one little place that I think we blow right by. You lack one thing. Go, sell all that you have, give to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven, and come, follow me. I mean, we read that. I, I, I would... I would be shocked if anybody has ever read that with encouragement. Has any, raise your hand if you ever read that. Okay, I shouldn't ask that question. Megan White and all the, all, the, all the Megans. Most of the time, we read that passage and we go, I've got to sell everything, and now I've got to go do this work. And we picture following Jesus like there he is four steps ahead, and we're just kind of trudging through the desert, you know. Where's the water? That's not what he's saying at all. In fact, one of my favorite passages in John, right, John 6, I bring up every other sermon. Remember, Jesus has fed the 5,000 food. Like, they were hungry. They didn't even really ask for food. But The disciples were starting to realize it. So he does this miracle. And they eat bread and they eat fish and they have their fill. And then Jesus, realizing there's going to be an uprising, goes up on the mountain, sends his disciples away. They go on the water. There's like a storm. So Jesus sneaks out, walks across the Sea of Galilee to his disciples, brings them safely to shore. And these people who have been fed are so incensed that he's left that they track him around. They just, I don't know if they take boats. Some of them go on the land. But when they come to him, it's like, where did you go? Who do you think you are? And he says to them, you have pursued me not because of the miracle." because you ate to your fill. But I want to say, that's okay. That's partially okay. Like, Jesus fed them. They were willing to leave their home and just follow him around wherever because they knew, if nothing else, we'll have fish and bread, and I'm sure he can do water. Like, he will sustain me. Right? Of course, what does he go on to say? I mean, I'm the bread of life. Like, you need me to live. And I want to ask you, are we loving Jesus and loving this life with him that he's all we need? Are we seeing him as the one that can provide every one of our needs? At the end of this passage, I didn't read it, and I'm still not sure how to handle it. But just look at verse 29. Peter cannot believe it. Peter feels like, wait a minute, we've left everything for you. And he says, truly I say to you, Jesus is saying, this life, as long as you live it apart from me, is worthless. It's a weight. It's like the trash in the, in the, in the house. It's a weight around your neck. It's going to make life miserable. But when you enter your possessions and your family relationships and your life on the other side of me, through Christ, it's glorious. Because it doesn't own you. It doesn't define you. It doesn't tell you who you are or who you have to be. That's all in Christ alone. Is that who Jesus is for you? Is he the one that sets you free? Or do you see him as a burden? One of my favorite days of the school year was the day we turned in our textbooks. Anyone else? Oh. I used to. So we got this locker and I thought this would be great. Now, our locker's are like this size at Sequoia and Edmund, So I, just, I was one of those kids, back then we were allowed, that just had that huge bag and threw all my books in that bag. Because I didn't want to have to think, am I going to math? When am I going to go? So I just had this entire burden on my back, right? And I also had those dumb covers on them that were ripping. And I was not the greatest of students, so the textbook was almost useless for me. And I'll never, you know, you know the end of school is coming. It's a week, it's two weeks, but there's that moment of shock. Bring your books to class tomorrow. We're turning them in. I mean, I mean, seriously, like from, from that moment until the end of school, like I don't have any, I don't have to work. Like the book's gone, you know? And the freedom that gave me, like, the load is gone. Now, there was like that silly worksheet that they would hand you. But, you know, who's grading? The grades have been turned in. You know what I mean? Teachers in the room know what I'm talking about. It's like all fake. It's like we have to sort of do this. I want you to see Jesus looking at you like he's looking at this man loving you, right? I don't know where this ruler went. I I don't know. I don't know. He went away sad. That's actually hopeful. Jesus loved him. That's very hopeful. It's in all three of the Gospel accounts, including Luke, who did his own research. I don't know. Did this man come to Christ and give the story himself? I don't know. But I know this. You and I have a Savior in Jesus who loves us and whom we can follow and just live with and walk with in every step of our lives. What does that look like practically? You have to do a little honest digging. Um, When you go to the Word of God in the morning, when you pray, when you think about your faith, when you drive down the street, what, you have to begin to ask yourself, what are the things I use to define me? What things, if they were ripped away, would feel very raw? And then offer those to Jesus. You don't have to, you don't have to be fearful that he's going to take away stuff, but just offer this fact that I'm not defined by these things. I'm defined by Christ alone. I could die right now I could go live in any circumstance, or I can continue living exactly in the, in the roles God's currently given me. That's, those are all options, but I don't care in the sense that I don't care for my, for my sense of security, my sense of well-being. It is well with my soul. If he brings me blessing, I can live with that. And if he brings me difficulties, I can live with that because he is my Lord. And those persecutions are a small glimpse. And what we are longing for is one day, someday, to walk into heaven and see him face to face. And let's let every day between now and that day be a day of loving worship of him. Confessing the ways we run from him, but embracing the reality that he is the only truth, the only way, and the only life we have. Let's pray. Jesus, This entire worship service has come through your scripture, the songs, the the, the confession. Lord, the, the quotes in this sermon all confess together that you are everything, that in you we have the full triune God, we have access to eternal life for glory. Yet, many of us, Lord, struggle to believe that. And we need your spirit to open our eyes to that truth. And we pray this morning that the snares of this life would be diminished. That we would rest in you alone and confess the things that we look to that are, we make idols. Help us to run from them to your arms. Amen.